Friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. Good, 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 good day to you. Today's a little bit different. I was able to grab a bunch of fantastic people from ministries all over the UK to interview them recently on just some of this stuff around what is the impact of being a disciple? What does it really mean for us to live for Jesus in our neighbourhoods and see transformation happening? Uh, and there's so much anxiety around around food poverty, around the energy crisis, uh, that the church can step into and make a difference in and be in the hands and feet of Jesus. So I was able to grab these four individuals and have an interview with them. It was a part of a spring harvest uh, interview that we were doing for half term. And I'm really pleased that we can put it out as a part of this podcast. So friends, uh, here is a conversation uh, which uh, I hope you find inspiring uh, with four of my friends around what does it mean? What does it look like for us to live for Jesus in our neighborhoods this winter? So here we go. Hi friends, welcome. It's so good to spend this time with you today. We're going to be having a conversation about essentially what it looks like for us to live out the good news in our neighbourhoods this winter. And I've got a whole bunch of amazing friends uh, with me today. We've got Russell Rook from Church Works, one welcome. I've got B Smith from Restoration Church, she's a part of the Spring Harvest Planning Group. Many of you will recognise her from our events. Uh, I've got B Joy Powell from the Ascension Trust and Street Pastors. It's really good to have you with us, B Joy. And we've got Jazz Potter from Gateway Church, uh, a good friend of mine. And all of these guys, they're amazing at what they're doing in impacting their neighbourhood. Essentially, the conversation today is going to be around what does it look like for us to live our lives for Jesus in our neighbourhoods. You know, the gospel, it's more than just words, isn't it? It's the entirety of our lives impacting the entirety of the lives of our neighbourhood. I was just reminded this morning reading Luke 4, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because... He's anointed me to preach the good news, but also set the captives free. It's a gospel that's for our souls, but it's also for our physical beings. And that's what we're going to be having a conversation about today. What does it look like for us to live for Jesus in our neighbourhoods, seeing the whole of people's lives impacted? Um, B, I, I want to jump to you first, if that's all right. You know, you're, you started a church with a bunch of friends in this last couple of years in Manchester. Talk to us about the landscape that you're seeing in Manchester. What are people's lives like? What are they going through right now? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, yeah, so we are actually only nine months old as a church, which is not old at all. So um, kind of born out of lockdown, really felt very much that like God wanted to to start to really um, connect some Christians in terms of what was going on in the community and actually as being hands and feet of Jesus. So like most neighbourhoods, we then started via WhatsApp groups to really discern the needs of the community within COVID um, times at the time. Um, and so off the back of that, lots of things um, kind of came out of that. Uh, but actually, one of the things that we recognized and we realized was that this was really crucial in terms of um, that double listening, listening to the Holy Spirit and listening to um, the community and really seeing what was happening on the ground. And off the back of this, and obviously Restoration Church was born. But what we, we did see within COVID and, still, and we're still seeing even now, 
uh, things like food insecurity, and I know we're not unique in that, but we are in East Manchester, which is not the most affluent part of Manchester. Um, and so we're seeing food insecurity, we're seeing homelessness, uh, a real issue with well-being and loneliness, um, uh, and also just real um, poverty, people who are in work and struggling with making ends meet um, and not, because they're not being paid a real living wage. There was obviously the issue of um, kind of children having to be at home and learning from home. Uh, and so lots of families struggling with digital uh, inclusion. Um, there was this assumption that everybody was going to be able to homeschool their children. But obviously, depending on, on where you are in the demographic and, you know, that that's that's an assumption that wasn't, you know, that wasn't um, accurate for where we are. And so uh, we just really realized that there was an issue with school readiness off the back of that and the, Im the impact of COVID on communities like ours in East Manchester, where people were already struggling with lots of different things, had then um, become really apparent and um, but then also this real hunger for uh, the church and people to really embody the gospel and to be hands and feet of Jesus in this area so that's really what we're seeing and um, where we are at the moment mm, it's it's the rise in living costs and the fact that people's wages haven't gone up in fact people were not being paid a fair wage before all of this and then that disparage between the two isn't it uh, Jazz mm. you, you pastor a church as well what are you seeing in a different part of the country? You're in the south, southeast. Uh, what are you seeing? Um, what I'm seeing really at the moment is, um, I think it's fear is the best way of describing it. It's the fear of the unknown. People not certain what's going to happen to their bills, mm. what's going to happen to uh, how their finances are going to work out. Um, and actually, when I have conversations with people, uh, that is, it's the worry. And that upsets me as I listen to them and I um, take on board some of their stress and some of their concerns and just, just simple things of, of just providing for their children, things like basic needs, like uniform for school and, um, uh, you know, just, yeah, it is food poverty. And uh, yeah, the simple things that we up until now have taken many of us for granted um, is now a real issue. Mm. Just unpack that little minute of the fear of it as well, because it's not just the reality, it's the fear of it. I noticed um, on the news this morning, a lot of the uh, folk that they were interviewing, it is just the fear of the unknown. What does that look like in people's lives? You know, do you know, how, have you spotted how that's being manifest? Um, I think one of the things that concerns me is that it's the, the, the chain that it becomes, the stories that get... Um, exaggerated and that, that sounds horrible the way that I've just said that I'm really sorry uh, you might have to edit that um, but the whole um, the whole way that one person says something and somebody else gets in the back of it and somebody else gets in the back of it and then it becomes this huge thing that actually if we could just take a step outside and have a look we could probably help practically uh, in real in real ways um, so when I'm speaking with people I always want to um, listen uh, and then try and bring some truth into what they are saying um, but it is it's a, it's a it is a genuine fear it's like how am I going to meet these bills um, and then we have this thing of Christmas coming up don't we which seems to really cause anxiety for people um, and with this pressure of having to provide 
all of these things for people. Um, so as a church, we've addressed that. One of the things that we do is we do uh, give a gift. So we um, have children referred to us the, and we provide three gifts for every child that is referred to us. The first year, I believe we did 290, that was two years ago. Last year, we did a thousand. This year, I fully expect that figure to double. Um, so that that's the level of kind of, of, of anxiety that is around I just and that's one way that we're looking at addressing that anxiety yeah it's a really good point I, I think in my neighborhood we I recognize every Christmas families in my church not just in the neighborhood but will get themselves in debt for Christmas and they're already in debt and they can't afford the extra debt that's now coming but the thought that they wouldn't buy their child some huge gift um you know, they can't believe it. They wouldn't dream of not doing that. Russell, can I just turn to you for a moment? You know, you for years have really been a champion of the church practicing resurrection. Uh, you've done it in lots of different forms and ways over the years. But what for you has fueled your desire uh, to be somebody that really wants to practice, see the church practicing resurrection? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic, that's a very kind question. Thank you, Chris. And, and it's, a, it's a fantastic phrase, isn't it? I, I, I now minister in an Anglican church, but I grew up in the Salvation Army. And when you talk about practicing resurrection, the first thing I remember thinking about is as a kid, part of the Salvation Army was always about learning, practicing my trombone. And, and sort of practicing resurrection and practicing the trombone are two different things. I can't go into the back bedroom and just practice resurrection like I used to practice my trombone. Um, but actually, you're right. The church is meant to be there as some kind of sign of resurrection. Robert Jensen always says that if you want to know who God is, God is the one that rose Jesus from the dead. God is the one who essentially practices resurrection. And the whole plan for creation is that it doesn't just stop with Jesus. God rises, raises Jesus from the dead precisely because he wants to raise everyone. He wants resurrection to spread throughout creation. And I guess... For me, the, the exciting thing about being part of the church, when, when church is really authentic, is that we become that signpost to resurrection. We can't make it happen. We're kind of reliant on God resurrecting people. But we can point towards the fact that, that there is a God who has made the world who wants to resurrect things, uh, whether that's individuals, whether that's communities. And I think one of the things we've seen over the last few years is the church has been a, a huge signpost to the God who wants to save lives and bring new life and, and resurrect things that otherwise would be dead without him. And so for me, I mean, I, I mean a number of us have already referred to the pandemic, you know, churches saved lives. We, we got the vaccine to people who wouldn't have had the vaccine otherwise. We got food to people who wouldn't have had food otherwise. We, we saved people. It, we helped Jesus to save people who as we've already said, we're, we're very isolated. We're kind of kind of locked in and, and, and suffering the, the darkest of days. And I guess for me, one of the exciting things is that um, the church continues to do this, pointing towards God all the time, wanting to resurrect things. So over the, the, the summer months, I think churches have been really, really aware that the winter months are going to be long, dark and cold. Cost of living crisis, rising bills, rising energy bills, rising mortgage payments, rising rent. And so uh, at Church Works, which is a kind of coalition of all the denominations working together to try and uh, uh, work with government and work with communities to protect the vulnerable, 
we started to talk about, well, what could church do over the winter to point towards resurrection at a time when when, when people need some hope and some good news? And uh, I, just last week, actually, was Spring Harvest. We we launched the Warm Welcome campaign at warmwelcome.uk. I got told off yesterday because um, at the beginning of the day, I was told we had 500 churches that had signed up already to be places of warm welcome over the winter. And in the evening, I used the same quote, and someone on my team told me off because it was over 600 by the end of the day. So hundreds of churches uh, every week are already signing up to say we want to be a place of warmth when people are cold we want to be a place of of light when people are experiencing real darkness in their lives we want to be a place where people don't feel they've got to kind of give up a place of but actually a, a place of hope and resurrection so i think once again the church is just is in a difficult time pointing towards the god who loves to resurrect things i'd love to hear a little bit more about the warm warm welcome you know what does that what what is it that we're looking for or you're looking forward to seeing churches doing i mean my panic straight away is oh my gosh have you seen how cold my church is every winter <laughs> um so you know what is one welcome what would that look like for a local church well it's really simple actually we're just saying to churches that churches you've got a space um and it might be a space that is your church building it might be a hall it might be a place you could rent it might be it might be anything um and can you open it and uh, make sure that it's warm and uh, as, as warm as you can reasonably uh, certainly warm relationally we want people that come into these spaces to feel thoroughly welcomed and encouraged it's got to be open and it's got to be free and it's got to be warm and that's basically it you know so churches not just opening uh, their buildings but their programs just to let more people know that you know what we've got a food bank on this day or we've got mums and tots on tuesday morning or we've got this homework club and these are places where people can come and not only be warm but actually receive warmth some receive some support some encouragement some help some advice um in tricky times and i think churches you know we do that the church does this already because the church exists because of the resurrection of jesus we that we're part of this resurrection movement and and over this winter if, you, if churches go to warm uh, warmwelcome.uk they can sign up and then we will point people in your neighborhood towards your church to say look this is somewhere you can go if you need warmth this winter it's amazing bj ascension trust you guys do loads of work as well you know what other things can churches be thinking about this winter about doing or being a part of that will really reveal this good news of jesus um yeah yeah no thank thank you chris um and and thank you russ for, for sharing what you shared because it's all about relationship that's that's the heart of of our ministry it's making relationships building relationships and encouraging relationships at every level both with the church for the church and through the church and i love the fact that russ says that we're called to be signposts to jesus because that is exactly what we are we're, we're the mirrors who reflect the love the compassion and the person of who jesus is as a reality not just a hope and in that it's a case of how can we then be representatives to people who won't come to our churches who've heard a narrative of church or believe a narrative of church this is actually that's not for me so through our street pastors and through our school pastors and basically our, our church leaders we're saying let us come alongside you equip you and mobilize you to take that warm welcome out to where people are so it's taking the streets physically sorry taking the church physically out into the streets so people are seeing that actually these people aren't the narrative that I've been told before, but they're seeing the reality of Jesus. 
So our street passers who are known for being people who are there during the nighttime economy, normally between the hours of 10 p.m. and 4 a.m., over the pandemic had to change tact, mainly because actually there weren't any nightclubs and pubs open at that time. But actually there was still a level of vulnerability that the church was called to respond to. And upon hearing where Jesus was moving, where Holy Spirit was saying, I'm still at work, they then started going out slightly earlier in the day and recognized actually there are people who just wanted to have a conversation. We had um, a group of street pastors down in Portsmouth who saw that actually the city had changed so much that people had been living there for their whole life, didn't know how to navigate their towns because of the new one-way systems and because of all of the new opening hours. People just needed to know, how can I be in my home? Yeah. And so our street pastors were present to have that narrative to work relationally with the local authorities and local police to be able to say here are the signposts that you need to know mm. and the image that we we have as street pastors in this new season is that of a lighthouse shining out to where people are mm. but if that's all we do we're only fulfilling 50 percent of our calling mm. we'll need to be sending out the boats we need to be sending out the vehicles mm. so actually we can help navigate from where that light lands into the dry land together because it's being that relationship being that support vehicle that says you're not alone in this and so we would love to encourage anybody who hasn't considered being a street pastor or a school pastor to think about actually is that something that you can do we're not asking people to go out between 10 and 4 anymore although that is still an option but actually if you feel like actually i'm not cut out for the late nights but i can still do maybe during the daytime during the afternoon or early evenings there are options all over the UK, and we're in 230 locations nationwide. And if you ever happen to want to travel across to America or Australia, you can take your uniform because we've got street passes there as well. <laughs> I do have some friends, Bijoy, um, who are really inspired by the street pastors, but their little town didn't have a street pastors. So they decided that they were going to be taking hot chocolate and hot drinks out uh, on an evening just around where the pubs were. And very quickly, they uh, ended up handing out the hot chocolate to teenagers and not to people coming out the pubs. And yeah. they ended up creating a, a, a detached youth ministry. They thought they were starting something else, and it's now a detached youth ministry, going out with hot chocolates, kind of hanging out with the kids that are in the park on a, on a Friday night at 10, 11 o'clock. Um, so there's lots of variations of that model of going out with hot food or going out with hot drinks to encounter people uh, where there are, aren't they? I mean, are there any other ways that you've seen people using that model of going out with something hot um, to really impact those that are on the streets at night? Yeah, and Chris, you, you've highlighted a point that's been on my heart for a long time, that actually our God is a God of disruption. And the reason why I say that is exactly that. Um, I was out with a team in Kingston not too long ago where we were told about a homeless group of people on the riverbank who needed some food and needed some people just to chat to them. And so we, we went back to base, prepared some sandwiches to take out to these guys. But the reality was actually, we walked five meters outside the door of our base, turned right and was met with a, a gentleman who had just collapsed on the side of the road by a bus stop on a night where there was a bus strike. Um, and the reality was when we actually managed to bring him round to some form of consciousness and able to um, access his phone we tried calling people to see if we could get him home safely and he was just in the situation where actually nobody wanted anything to do with him 
neither his friends nor his family. Um, and he started to pour out his heart to us, just like saying, I'm, I've, I've been a really successful businessman, um, but I've been under so much pressure that unfortunately I've been forced to turn to, to alcohol. And then he just started crying. I love my kids. I love my wife. Um, and we, no, no taxis wanted to take him, but we managed to find some friendly police officers after about an hour with him. We said, you know what? He's on our way back to base. We'll take him home. But in that moment, we, we spoke into the narrative where nobody wanted anything to do with him to let him know that he was loved, that he was cared for, and that we wanted to spend time with him. And it was a disruption because the reality is we never got to those homeless people. But God says, you may have all of these grand plans, but focus on where I'm calling you and focus on where I'm moving you to. Because what I'm doing may not necessarily be where you think I'm moving. Amazing. Peter, I think that's an incredible story. It's incredible. I wonder if I can come back to jazz for a moment. Uh, jazz, you were talking about you know the Christmas gifts. And one of the things that I often get asked is, um, well, social action, engaging with the needs of the neighborhood, uh, the failure of that model is people never get to hear about Jesus. Uh, so I just love to, you know, it's faith, it's action, it's words, it's all of it. Uh, what do you say to people when they come, you know, to receive those gifts? Are there ways that you are able to talk about Jesus or are they the roots where um, you can bring the gospel in in some gentle way so it is words and action yeah i mean it's it's really important to use use our words isn't it i mean paul writes about the fact that that well we do need to use our words we'll stop and um but i always teach very clearly that we do this with gentleness and respect so you need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have but always with gentleness and respect and so that's one thing that we're really keen on equipping the church is is to be ready is to be ready to share your story to be ready to uh explain why you even go to church if you are asked i mean those moments happen uh i can recall one story where um, uh, I, I, I'm a, a street chaplain, so I go into the local shops and visit them. And I remember one story where uh, a hairdresser rushed into me and she said, Jazz, Jazz, what must I do to be saved? And what had happened the day before? She had been um, she had been at an exhibition, and there'd been a stand there with some Christians who were telling her that she needed to be saved. But she was too embarrassed to have this conversation with them with a bunch of strangers. But she knew me because every week I go into her shop and speak to her. And so the very next day, she said, "What must I do?" And I got to spend an hour telling her what what she needed to do. But also. <laughs> everybody that was in the hairdressers got to hear the gospel in its entirety because it was out of relationship is out of having built you know a long relationship with her so she trusted me and knew me and so when those questions arose she could ask me and i'm very much about that model is to build good relationships uh, it's you know one relationship at a time but we um but we must be ready to tell of uh, what jesus has done and what he you know what he is doing yeah yeah, B, you, you're doing this stuff as well. I think the work that you're doing in Manchester is um, just so inspiring. I love it. I love how you you live with your community. And you guys have gone through some really rough stuff this last year because it's all about relationship. Um, I'm not going to ask you about the stuff that you've gone through, but um, where for you are you seeing that that uh, responding to need and being able to share jesus that's actually helping people really encounter him in the whole of their life 
Yeah, um, I think what I'm really loving is hearing exactly um, the same thing being kind of what Russ was saying and what Jazz was saying and Joy, the crucial necessity of relationship. And what we're seeing here in Greater Manchester, certainly as a city region, is this real um, hunger and, and love for connection. So churches doing stuff together. In fact, on Monday evening, I was at the Churches Together in England gathering for Greater Manchester. And um, and we were talking specifically about the movement for recovery, which is this connection of churches, people really wanting to come together and have shared mission to respond to the needs of the community. And so the importance of, of relationships with, with people who are responding together is really, is, it's been crucial for us. And so as a city region, we are part of something called the movement for recovery, which looks at um, three shared, you know, three shared missions. And so we're looking at how churches are responding to the kind of food security issue. And so you've seen the likes of the Message Trust starting kind of these incredible food groceries here in Manchester. Uh, and you've got um, kind of this mission of helping families to think about school readiness and, and the educational impact of COVID as well. And so there's kind of working groups that are looking at that, working groups, groups that are looking at how you support refugees and asylum seekers. And um, there's a, a campaign that's nationwide, but really has taken a, off here in Greater Manchester that's looking at actually even kind of working with employers and thinking about how they are paying people the right amount of money with the real wage campaign. And so lots of things that are born out of Christians wanting to really work together and connect with each other. And locally here for us, because I'm in Tameside, it's Manchester, which is part of, um, it's one of the boroughs in Manchester. Um, we've really kind of um, leaned into uh, churches working together to think about and listen to the communities and, and listen to sort of the needs of the community mm. and how they can respond together. And so that's looked like um, sometimes thinking about how you can, if you're in a smaller congregation, how you can run an alpha uh, mm. course for people who are really seeking and wanting to ask questions about becoming a Christian or how you are thinking about resources in terms of finances. So let's say you're in a small church and you can't really um, kind of respond financially to that, but you have a building and, and you, you are willing to let that building become used with, kind of by the community. We've seen incredible um, generosity of churches who are saying, actually, we've only got 20 people in our church, but our building is open. And so why don't you as a church come and do and run your food bank from here or run your community response project from here and it's been an incredible kind of cohesive um connection and actually you talked about disruption didn't you be joy and um one of the things that I, that we are seeing is this um this kind of allowing God to disrupt our pace. So we wanted to see things happen really, really quickly, but actually allowing God to help us to slow down and to start to think, actually, what does living slowly look like in our communities? Because not, not all of our communities want things to happen really quickly. Sometimes it's just walking day by day with people and doing life outside of the walls and um, doing kind of simple practices, like actually walking in your community, getting to know who's there and really listening to what they need. And so I've seen the church really kind of starting to, to really change the pace of how they do things in response to what people are, are needing and that's beautiful to see mm. that is amazing isn't it 
I think we've you know we've started a food pantry, mm-hmm. and it's just been so lovely because it's not just a food pantry, uh, it's also a place where they come and then sit and get a cup of tea and they hang out, make relationships, uh, and it's just been look. We thought we were starting one thing, but actually it's a it's a whole thing. It's 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 engaging with that relationship uh, with them. Russ, I want to come back to you for for a moment. Um, I, I want to talk politics for a second. So I had somebody recently say to me, Chris, the uh, living. Uh, cost crisis it's not a church issue it's a political issue and we need to get on to our politicians and we had a whole conversation off the back of that which was really fun Um, but for you is this a political issue is it a gospel issue is it a people of god issue like whose issue is this well i mean I mean, really simply, I mean, everything is a political issue. The word politics comes from the word polis, and the word polis means people. And politics is what happens when you have lots of people in a place, or maybe sometimes only a few people you need to have some politics. You know, we've we've all been in small groups and large groups that have got politics. So the reality is politics is something that happens when human beings come together and interact and have to work out how they organise themselves and organise their world. And that's why politics is, is always the sort of a terrain that the church should not be frightened of. We should be able to walk into that space and say, as you said from the beginning, we, we are the people of resurrection. We are the people who can point you towards God who rose Jesus from the dead and has a plan to make all things new. And he's helping to do that through us, the church. And so we shouldn't be scared about stepping into that space. We should be confident about who we are. And I think in, in this scenario, there's there's a couple of, couple of elements to the politics, particularly around the cost of living crisis. There are serious questions for us to ask as Christians about what it means to be the fifth richest country in the world, and yet to have so many millions of people mm. who are, are suffering food poverty, possibly 12 million households suffering energy poverty by the end of the year. And some of those questions need to be asked. We need to write to our MPs. We need to talk to ministers. Uh, The Church Works Commission that I'm part of, chaired by the Bishop of Durham, has all of the church denominations as part of it. And we meet regularly with different government ministers to raise these issues, both to say these are things that we think the government should put right and things that government should do, which maybe we're not doing enough of right now, but also to say, as the church, we're not here just to moan about what you're doing wrong. We're help to, we're, we're helping you to do good stuff. And the church can help when it comes to issues like the cost of living crisis or the mental health crisis or the issues around vulnerable families in our country or food poverty. And so I think it's right for churches to do two things. It's right for churches to challenge our political leaders and say, look, this is how we think God sees this issue. And we think you, as our leaders appointed under God, should be leading our country and our community in this direction. And we should advocate and use the power that we have to do that. But we should also say, but actually, it's not just politicians that have power. The stories we've just heard are amazing stories about the power that local churches have just to open the doors, to turn on the radiators, to make some hot chocolate, to give a Christmas present. You know, we have immense power given by the Holy Spirit who rose Christ from the dead, by the way, 
given to the church that we can unleash in our community and, and, and can make a tremendous difference. And maybe some of the crises that we're facing in our communities at the moment give people to give an opportunity for the church to, to sort of manifest that power, people to experience that power in completely new ways. So it's about challenging and being involved in politics in the kind of big advocacy, campaigning, lobbying kind of scenario. But it's also about just recognising that we've got the power to show up and do things locally, which can change the lives of people in our communities. Mm. I've been loving listening to church leaders the last six months talk about the pandemic, like reflecting. So many church leaders are now saying things like, do you know what? The pandemic was hard work, but it was a golden moment for my church to step up and be the people of God and the number of Jazz and I were at something last week together you know chatting to a number of church leaders who were just saying that actually reflecting back it was pretty an amazing moment seeing my church doing you know school breakfasts or food delivery drop-offs prescription drop-offs for the elderly phone calls to the elderly befriending projects uh you know the church finding its feet in that season and this is just another moment for us to find our feet isn't it and say actually what does the gospel practically look like on the street corners uh for me and my church community it looks different for all of us but asking that question is really important uh, you just mentioned the Holy Spirit again, Russ. I just want I, was, I want to riff off that and ask us all, really, just to think for a second. You know, what is it the Spirit is saying to the church in this season? Uh, I'd love to hear if you've got a, a thought um, on what that might look like. What is the Spirit of God saying to the church, the bride, in this season for our nation? I don't know if anyone has had a sense or a feel uh might have been as you're praying for your church community what the spirit is saying i'm just going to throw that open to you guys if if i can jump in it's mm -hmm. just a personal reflection that's asked me to refocus mm -hmm. so um last october um i had a sporting injury where i twisted my knee and tore my cruciate ligament um in april this year um i had i had the surgery to have it reattached and the rehab and the recovery has been going well but upon reflection there was something that i learned very early on but the day after my surgery, uh, my physio told me to, you need to get up and you need to try and get active as quickly as you can so you can build the strength back up in your legs so you can aid that recovery process. But if I, if that was all I heard and just kind of stopped listening to my physio at that point, mm -hmm. I'd be up and I'd be functional, but I would be almost in a position where I'd be limping for the rest of my life mm -hmm. because my surgery said that the ligament that we've replaced has replaced uh, a tissue that used to take signals from the brain and replaced it with a support structure, which was no longer a receptor. So the surrounding muscles and tissues needed to compensate. Mm -hmm. And so when I was up and moving, I really needed to retune my body to listen to what my leg was telling me, when to put pressure on my heel, when to put pressure on my toe and where to lean and which direction. And so I had to physically, in the first two weeks of that recovery, teach my leg how to walk again. And then God told me the same thing, that how does this apply to the church? You've been battered and you've been bruised for the past two years, if not longer. Mm. And you're in danger of walking with a limp if you try and get up too quickly. Mm. Listen to where it is I am moving. Listen to where it is where I'm rebuilding your muscles. Mm. And let me teach you how to walk again. 
Wow. I love that. Mm. I love that. It's so good. Yeah, anyone else just get a sense of what the spirit is saying to us as the church? Yeah, um, I think Bejoy is, is a very similar thing here, um, kind of where we live, certainly in Greater Manchester, but but really kind of locally where we are in East Manchester. Um, one of the, I watched a documentary uh, called Godspeed, and I don't know if any of you have watched it. It's about this um, pastor from the US who then ends up in this really rural part of Scotland, and then God is you know starting to, with God starting to sort of work out what that looks like for him coming from a big city in America uh, and there is something about relearning the pace isn't there um, at, at this time so so he goes through this journey where God teaches him what it looks like to care for this new community that God has sent him in, into um, and I think one of the things that we are recognizing is that we're changed by COVID we're changed by what we've just experienced in the last couple of years and God wants to restore and there's some remnants of pain and and grief and uh, lots of really really difficult stuff that, that we're having to all navigate off the back of what we've just experience over the last couple of years and we need to hear from the holy spirit we need to hear from what god really wants to do at this particular time and it might look different to what we've done before and so there is a real need to in connection with the holy spirit to really learn what the pace is of this moment and so for us at the moment we're feeling very much like god is speaking lots from um kind of the the stuff that we know um around the good shepherd so what does it look like for the shepherd to know his sheep and this the shepherd is, is is jesus we know that that we're not the shepherd he is um and so then listening and in step with him really hearing what it is that he wants to do and that's looking different in our area and it's looking like where does it need to increase where do we need to do some of what russ was saying um kind of to join in with kind of that that advocacy and say actually this isn't right and and what does that look like in our locality so in uh, tameside we're part of something called the poverty truth commission which is working with civic leaders to actually start to answer some of those questions around how you respond to stuff like poverty in our area but also where do we need to pray where do we need to gather and really lament for our communities and pray so prayer and protest together what does the pace look like and what is the holy spirit really wanting to do in our community and i think actually what you've just been saying and um, be joy about not going too fast so you risk injury but also not slowing down where you need to um, maybe engage in the politics of your locality and say this isn't right there is a mental health crisis here and we really need to respond to that or maybe there's a food crisis here and as the church we really need to sound the alarm here being aware of what that looks like in your community i think is a work of the holy spirit and so at the moment we're really feeling the need to connect in with what jesus is wanting to do and really learn what the pace of the moment is off the back of what's been really tough um and so yeah that's really what i'm hearing um, and we're hearing together in the churches um, in tameside and in greater manchester it's beautiful b i think there is something about having to just listen isn't there to the spirit but also uh, the neighborhood um russell if a church uh is, is somebody from a church listening to this and they're saying do you know what? i i know there's need in my neighborhood but mm. actually i don't really know what it is and i can watch the bbc or i can watch itv news and i, I know there's uh the rising fuel costs i know there's fuel food poverty but i don't actually know what the real deep issues are in my neighborhood how might somebody go about or a church go about 
doing that legwork of working out what the needs are so they are actually responding to the needs that are real for yeah. their neighborhood rather than what is presumed is there a process or just a simple thing that churches can do so I, I think it's probably a three i think there's probably three stages to that and, and one of it sort of riffs off quite nicely what we've been talking about there maybe about what the spirit's saying to the church right now i mean I, i've spent I've spent um, uh, I've I've been in ministry for over thirty two years. I've spent about half of that largely working in churches, engaging with politics, with groups like the Salvation Army, the Spring Harvest, you know. And I've spent the sort of second part of my ministry, um, sort of largely in the politics sphere, engaging with churches. So sort of the other way around. And I think when I when I worked predominantly in churches, one of the sad things was I realised, and I didn't realise until I moved away and spent more of my time in politics, that actually we tend to have a bit of a kind of sense of low self-esteem about the church. We tend to think that we're actually a bit rubbish. Now, that's partly because we've been in church for long enough and we've seen some of the bits that we're not so proud of and some of the problems and all the rest. And we sometimes have that kind of feeling that maybe we, we can't do stuff. Um, when, when you go work somewhere else, whether that be in business or government in politics, and you see just how dysfunctional other organisations are, that actually often makes you feel quite a lot better about the church. You start to think, oh, actually, we've got something here. We could really do something. So I think firstly for the church, one of the things I would say, I think the spirit is saying to the church is, I've got you and you've got me. You know, the spirit that rose Christ from the dead is in you as the church. So be confident. So firstly, as you say, when you're thinking about, okay, we've got massive need, don't sort of shrink into your shell and say, oh, we, there's nothing we can do. Actually, there is something you could do. So the first thing is be confident. And the second thing, and this picks up brilliantly, I mean, the Poverty Truth Commission is a fantastic project and it's based around helping communities to listen. And sometimes the church is, has been better at talking than it's been at listening. So I think the second stage is learn to listen to the community. And that's just as simple as go and knock on some doors or have a coffee morning or just speak to people they know. I once worked with the Salvation Army Church, which said that they didn't really have many contacts with uh, non-Christians in the community. And then we asked them to sit down the amount of non-Christians who came to the mums and toddlers or to the old people's group or to the Christmas fair or the carol service or whatever through the year. And they come up with about like 5,000 people who regularly go. So there were lots of people who weren't followers of Jesus who were engaging with church. So find the people who you already know and sit down and listen to them and say, what are the problems? What are the things that you are struggling with that your neighbours are struggling with? And then the third thing is try something. I think that's the other problem with churches is we always think if we start something, it's a bit like your hot chocolate story, Chris, if we start something, we basically need to keep doing it until Jesus comes again and don't change anything until he comes again either, you know? But actually try something. Try opening your building. Become a warm, welcome place. Try saying, well, actually, we've got problems in our area with people who are home working and they can't afford to turn the radiators on. Well, maybe we'll open the church hall up and we'll put some tables out and we'll get slightly better Wi-Fi and, and we'll turn on the coffee urn and tell people that they can come and work here if they would like to. Try something. See if it happens. If it doesn't work, try something else. If it doesn't work in, 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 in some way, but it works in another way, but like your pantry, well then, then do that. Follow the spirit where he leads. But I think the first thing is be confident, really try and listen, and then try something. And, and if it doesn't work, try something else, but just keep going because the spirit that rose Christ from the dead is within us. Mm. That's lovely. Jazz, does that resonate with you? Yeah. And, and you know, a follow-up question would be, uh, how have you and your church, not just the one that you pastor now, but your previous church, listened to the community in the past? Yeah. 
Um, the, um, I mean, I really love what Russell was just saying about the whole thing of listening and trying something. So, you know, in the next few weeks, we are opening up our space and uh, providing various things for the community to see what will happen. We've got no idea what the uptake will be, whether it will be useful or not useful, but we will just respond as the need comes in. We will respond because that's, that is our heart to be able to do so. Um, I use, so just in, in terms of your question, Chris, I use um, social media a lot to find out what the community wants. So I, I am totally like reading all of the local groups to see what the conversations are, to see what's going on. Um, and it's, it's actually a really useful shortcut for me to be able to say, oh yeah look they're talking about that i wonder what would look like if i approached them about this and uh, they're talking about that let me go and have a conversation over there and then actually the key i think everybody has said it is is the listening is actually having the ability to listen and to absorb all of that emotion that's out there um we have capacity and one of the things that i've learned through covid is that god gives you great capacity and uh he doesn't run out of capacity you don't run out of capacity in god there is more more that he can um uh, download to you as you need it um and so i don't worry about that but it is it's looking it's looking and listening isn't it I love that. Thank you, Jazz. Yeah, I think it's. We went through a process when we moved here of listening, listening, listening. We ended up with a big board up, and we got people to write up everything the church in the past, in memory, could remember the church had done well for our neighbourhood, and we use it a way of really celebrating what the church had done in the last hundred and forty odd years. It kind of tailed off after about sixty years because there was nobody around with that long enough memory. But it was a way of celebrating what the church has done. You know, Russell it's the confidence isn't it having confidence in what we've been and it was amazing because we were able to say do you know what some of this stuff here it's still things we could be doing now and playing with yeah. and we were able to then develop and fiddle and the things that we are now doing you know we're running a community center that's trying to eradicate poverty in the neighborhood but it was started in 1904 by a church warden uh, you know a little old lady who started it uh, sometimes it's just looking at what has been and what is the spirit doing and how is it changing and moving forward forward russell thank you jazz b joy for bringing your wisdom today i want to ask b uh, b would you pray for us would you pray for the church as we listen to the spirit as we try to respond good news that's word and action this winter as we try to be people who are filled full of hope and love and warmth would you pray for us absolutely it's my pleasure um as we were just talking, I really felt very much like there were all these dots that are all over the place, right? All over this uh, nation. And yet God is the connector. He is connecting the dots. So I just really want to pray that as we imagine together that God will begin to really help us to see the picture of what he is doing over our nation and in our localities. So Jesus, I thank you for all this stuff that we have heard that is incredible and wonderful and really just is your heart for your people. And so I pray that as your church listens and hears what you want to do in this age, that you will just connect the dots. Lord, where our imagination fails, that you will inspire us by your Holy Spirit, where we have really good imagination, that you'll help us find people who are doing the same so, so that we are working together in relationships, eliminating duplication and really connecting with what you want to do at this time for the community. So we just really want to pray, Lord, for hope to spring up in a time where it, where it feels like it's really dark, that there will be hope that will rise and that your people will lead in that hope. 
I pray, God, that this winter people will find you and they will find that you are ready to, yeah, you're a God who is real in their communities, in their circumstances, ready to answer. I thank you that you are the same yesterday, today and forever and that you have done this before with us. And so I pray for every single family who is wondering what's going to happen this winter, that, that you will be able to get alongside with them, Lord, and that they will find that there is, yeah, peace and hope in the middle of crisis. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to inspire your church and to see hope spring up this winter. Mm. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bea. Thank you, friends, for spending time with us. Um, for those listening in on our conversation, we hope you found that helpful. We would love it if you would do a couple of things. Would you put in the chat, if your church is doing something or you're doing something uh, that you think is in the vein of what we've been talking about, we would love you to drop it in the chat. We'd love to hear uh, what you and your local church are doing. Uh, you've heard from a number of uh, leaders today. If there's anything that they're doing that inspired you, then in the chat um, are the show notes of this conversation you'll see links to their organizations do click on them do follow them and do think about signing up and playing your part in some of this wider kingdom work and don't forget also to subscribe for other future videos on our youtube channel that'd be a great thing to do um, but friends until next time grace and peace